Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Failed Critics, episode number, I forget, we've been going on for a while now. <laughs> I'm Steve... Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> no, lost. no, no one knows. I'm Steve Norman, I'm joined by James Diamond. Hello. Jerry McCauley. Hello. And Owen Hughes. Hello, where's our uh, nice introductions? Have they suddenly stopped? Well, you know... See what happens next week. I've been spoiled. <laughs> I've, I've used six adjectives in the last two weeks. I've run out of them. <laughs> I was coming through in crystal clear, high definition sound at the moment. It's fantastic. Yeah, so I should. This microphone costs 40 quid. <laughs> so, providing that Jerry's internet connection doesn't die on us, we'll probably be all right. Yeah. Yeah, don't, don't say that. It's going to die in about 12 minutes, I reckon. <laughs> Uh, so this week we've got a bit of movie news, we've got what films we've been watching this week, and a review of uh, new release, Dread. Um, 3D. Yes, unless, <laughs> you, saw it in, unless you saw it in 2D, of course. Um, yes. Anyway, yes, and Triple Bill, which will be out a few days later, will be our favourite movie cops in tribute to Dread. Uh, but we'll start off with the quote quiz. Where Jerry is running away with it, uh, he's got four points. Me and James have got one each, and Owen has yet to score a single point, and it's getting quite embarrassing now. Yes, it's getting very embarrassing. <laughs> uh, this week's quote is: Nine million terrorists in the world, and I gotta kill one with feet. Team America. Than... I mean, no. is it Team America? No. <laughs> oh. Let and let me Shut finish. Now, I'll start Shut again. Nine million terrorists in the world, and I gotta kill one with feet smaller than my sister. I know this. Jerry? Yes, Jerry. I'm I'm gonna guess, is it Naked Gun? No. Damn. Right, hang on, there we go. Oh, um, uh, is it... Is it Die Hard? It's Die Hard. James, Die Hard, yes. It's Die Hard. Yes. Oh, no, it <laughs> I think it was an old one. just couldn't remember what. Yeah, of course, it's, he, he, that's why he's barefoot, because he, he can't find shoes. Awesome. Because he, Good work. Because Good work, he, Steve. Because he'd done what the businessman told him to do on the plane, which I'm sure exactly. after seeing that film, everyone else has tried now. Yeah. Taking your shoes off, walking around barefoot on a carpet and making fists with your toes. Yeah. <laughs> and the amount of times I've been caught in a building, terrorists. It's exactly doing is it, that. It's, it's exactly the. It's exactly the reason why I don't do it. Yeah. 
And, you know, for, in, in the same token, it's why I watch Die Hard 2 every time I go on holiday, just to sort of prepare in case something goes down at the airport. Yeah, I watch it before every Christmas party as well. I mean, yeah. You've just got to be prepared. You're going to an office Christmas party, you need to, you know, prepare for these kind of things. Three and four, you know, not really going to happen to me. I'm not, I'm not a cop, but the first two, you never know. So just, pre- just be prepared is my motto. Anyway, um, Jerry's got some movie news for us. Yeah. Um, first up, just James, I, I, I wanted to bring this to you on air. Um, Kobe Smulders got married. Oh no, no. That's one less, one less woman <laughs> for me to sexually harass by the power of podcast. Okay, I do respect the sanctity of marriage, apart from my own, obviously. Um, so therefore, I will now leave Kobe Smulders alone. Does anyone know if Kelly McDonald's married though? Because I've been thinking about that recently. No idea. Yeah. Okay, look into that one for me, Jerry. Will do. You, you're my new wingman. <laughs> <laughs> In um, more sort of relevant film news, um, the Venice Film Festival winners were announced. Um, we, the, the one that won the Golden Lion, I'm not going to lie, never heard of it, never heard of the director. Um, it's a film called Pieta, which is a South Korean film. Um, the director is Kim Ki-duk. If anybody, any listeners are big on Korean films, want to inform us about him or anything about this film, then... then Great, I, I'm told that it's about some kind of horrible debt collector who has to face up to his demons when his, his uh, estranged mother dies. No idea about him or any of the stars, so so feel free to write in if you're any. Uh, there's any Eastern cinema geeks listening to this podcast? There might be. Um, let us know. The Silver Lion went to Paul Thomas Anderson for The Master, which we're all very excited about, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And continuing in that vein, uh, the Best Male Actor Award was shared by the two stars of that film, which is Philip Seymour Hoffman, who I fucking love, and Joaquin Phoenix, who I quite like, but not quite Philip Seymour Hoffman. I don't, I don't agree with that, sharing an award for something like Best Actor. It's, it's, Make them fight it's, it out. It's, 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 one, it's one or the other. <laughs> share, share, I don't know why sharing the award just seems to take some of the shine off it. I mean, you don't share a... a Premier League trophy or a, a Brad Slam tennis title, do you? I, I'd just like to say I would happily share any podcasting award with any other film podcast if they wanted to share it. I'm, I'm just putting it out there. Um, I, yeah, I really do think The Master is going to dominate massive. I've not seen it, but just hearing about it, I think that's the one that's going to be the one to watch at next year's Oscars in terms of people hoovering up awards um, by the sound of it anyway. Yeah, it sounds pretty award-friendly, to be honest. Um, the other thing is, I was going to say, the only, when you say about sharing, Steve, if you've seen The Help, I think that was probably the best case for sharing an award. The, 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 the actresses in that could probably have all shared an award and I wouldn't have had any complaints. So, you know, maybe the people watch this and they were like, oh, they're both too good. Can't pick one of them. We'll just, we'll just give it to both of them. Um, best actress nod, by the way, was to an Israeli actress called Hadis Yaron. Sorry if I've horribly mispronounced that. Um, for a film called Fill the Void. And the special jury prize went to Austrian Ulrich Seidel, again, apologies for pronunciation, uh, for a film called Paradise Faith. And French director Olivier Assayas took home the best screenplay for Something in the Air. Oh. Thanks for that, Jerry. So, yeah. 
I'm sure a Belgian guy won some kind of prize as well, but I don't know about any of the other prizes. They're the ones that I've got written down. So <laughs> sorry, Belgian guy. The there, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> you think they're written down? You're not. You're not on the pod. Well, should we move on to what films we've all been watching this week? Yeah, go for it. That was a rhetorical question. (laughs) Maybe all my questions should be rhetorical from now on, and then I'll get the answer that I truly want. I'll start off, because I rarely start off these things. I did watch The Muppets again, because it's brilliant, but that's all I'll say about that, because we've we've spoken about it enough on it, but it is bloody brilliant. Um, But the other film I watched, I mean, I've upgraded a few films from standard DVD to Blu-ray, so I stuck on Jurassic Park on Blu-ray. Oh yes, good choice. Um, mm-hmm. I'm sure everyone knows Jurassic Park by now, has seen it. Um, and when it first came out, because it had all massive dinosaurs and that in it, it looked brilliant. It looks even better in Blu-ray. It was transferred really well. The picture quality is amazing. Um, and it's still a brilliant, exciting film now. Yeah, yeah I mean, the, the bit with... Um... Where Richard Hammond sort of says, "Welcome to Jurassic Park," and you've got the yeah. brachiosaurus Richard moving Hammond. and the music. Isn't that John the uh, <laughs> the guy from Top Gear? That's Richard Hammond. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, played by Richard Attenborough. I think. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I should not drink. Honestly, has Spielberg and Lucas been going back meddling with old yeah. classics again? <laughs> and now they've just they, someone from Top they've Gear. just transposed oh, yeah. Top Gear into the main three oh, male Jesus leads in that Christ, film. Yeah. That would be an awful film. <laughs> you just imagine Jeremy Clarkson pulling up in one of those jeeps. Oh. Jeremy John Clarkson Hammond. clearly played the Ian Malcolm role. <laughs> He'd love to be in Leathers. Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah. No, that, that bit with the... It's just epic, isn't it? That whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, I so it, looked, it looked good when you saw it in the cinema in, what was it, 95? Mm, I saw I, it earlier this year and I yeah. saw the, the restored version on the big screen mm. earlier this year and you're right. It, it, look, it looked good when you got it on DVD on a big telly yeah. and it looked even better with Blu-ray. It's just, yeah. you know, in, in the film, and it's not just a film that sort of looks good, it is a, you know, enjoyable film of as course, well. It's the, it's the one film, you know, out of all the awards it's won, uh, obviously, it's the one film that has ever, uh, the only film that's ever been the unanimous choice of all of us on a triple bill. Yeah, mm. you know, and I'm, I'm it's, pretty sure it's, that, it, that's it's pretty big as well. It's, it's kind of, considering we've seen Spielberg at his worst a lot in recent years, it's, it's him at his best. Oh, definitely. Uh, it's his no, best it, film, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and that year he did, he did Schindler's List and Jurassic Park, like, back-to-back. And, that, and, the, and the variation in those two films, obviously, is, you know, Shows a I real show... storyboards I've ever got confused. You filmed Jurassic Park before Schindler's List because you knew that you'd be like too drained after after doing Schindler's to do anything mm. like Jurassic Park. And he did that. And then he, I don't think he made the film for like two or three years after Schindler's List because he's just but drained do, from it. But to do two films of that varying substance and subject matter of that and both being of that quality shows a real talent which he should really start showing some more of again rather than just going back and dicking with Indiana Jones <laughs> although um, anyone who lives near a proper IMAX cinema uh, in a couple of weeks time Raiders of the Lost Ark is being um, re-released specially done for IMAX I'm, I don't live anywhere near a proper IMAX cinema so I'm not going to get a chance to see it but anyone who does definitely go and see that because that sounds like he's, all he's done is just done it for IMAX 
definitely go and see that, I reckon. Uh, James, what have you watched then? Um, yeah, over the last, actually over the last 10 days or so, I just end, I ended up watching, that's not what I'm going to talk about tonight, but I ended up watching the, the Meet the Parents type trilogy. Uh, Meet the Parents, Meet the Fockers, Little Fockers. Better than I remembered, actually. They weren't bad. Uh, they got steadily worse as the whole thing went on. But Robert De Niro is a constant comic presence, so. Yeah, if they're on TV, stick them on. Um, but the film I probably want to talk about is actually called uh, The Innkeepers. Out this year, uh, directed by Ty West, who did House of the Devil, I think it's called. Stars Sarah Paxson, Pat Healy, and Kelly McGillis, looking really old, actually. Um, but she, she's very good in this. Um, yeah, I, I can't remember if it was off-air or on-air last week um, when we talked about the fact that we're going to be reviewing Paranormal Activity 4. Uh, in a month and a bit's time. And I said that I'm terrible with ghost stories. And so, yeah, I decided to watch one. Uh, I watched it um, with my... I kept having to look at my phone and look at the TV so that I wasn't completely immersed in it because <laughs> it scared me too much. I kept having to remind myself that I was watching a film. Um, because the first hour, I'll be honest, um, quick uh, overview of it. Um, I, I read, it's available on DVD. I rented it, um, uh, online. So I, I watched it online. Um, during the, it's basically set during the final weekend of, a, a an American hotel called the Yankee Peddler Inn, like a, a little independent hotel. Um, and it's the last weekend and the two employees that are left working there are investigating the hotel for ghosts. There's a kind of gruesome story of back in the 1800s, uh, a bride turned up and stayed in a honeymoon suite, but her husband never showed, so she killed herself. Uh, and now her ghost walks the halls kind of thing. And um, they're going around with quite amateur equipment, just trying to capture her image. Because one what, of them has apparently seen her. What, what if the husband was only sort of, you know, running a bit late? I know. I, I don't know if you had that excuse so much in the 1800s. I, I think you would have had more though, because I mean, you know, there would have been less. There would have been less traffic. But if a horse don't want to pull the cart along, it ain't going to go anywhere. I suppose so. Yes. Um, <laughs> didn't really go into that. I'll be honest, yeah, Steve. Yeah. They didn't investigate that side of it too much. I think um, there's also a kind of subtext that maybe she didn't kill herself. Really, she was murdered. I'm not sure. Um, the first hour is very, very creepy, very atmospheric, quite unlike a lot of films. I haven't yet seen um, The Woman in Black, the Daniel Radcliffe film, but I get the impression there's a similarity there in that it's an old-fashioned ghost story, and there haven't been that many. It seems we've gone down the route of torturous killers, um, maybe with slightly supernatural powers or not, or um, loads of possession films, mm. loads of possession films at the moment. But this is actually more kind of like straight up ghost story, um, which I think actually gave it some power because it was very simple. And you you can do great things and you can build up a lot of tension on a great, uh, on a small budget because you don't have to spend much on effects and things like that. You've just got like a piano playing creepily on its own and that's enough to make you go, oh, bloody hell, that's, I don't like that. Doors slamming shut and things like that. Um, so it, the first hour is slow but very atmospheric. I liked it. But also kind of really indie. It feels like, um, I don't know, like Little Miss Sunshine meets a ghost story, something like that. The, the, there's a really nice chemistry between Sarah Paxton and Pat Healy, who play the two employees in the hotel, and they're kind of 
um, almost, at times it's almost clerks-esque, you know, they're, there's some wandering about life and, you know, there's a bit of philosophy in there and taking the piss out of each other. Um, and it, it, it builds up quite nicely, actually. Kelly McGillis plays a, a former TV actress who's now a healer and psychic who talks to the dead and stuff like that. And then she's the one that starts giving out really scary warnings about not going down to the basement. So obviously what's the first thing that the young girl does <laughs> is go down. And kind of from there on, it beca- it's quite perfunctory. Um, it's very by the book. And, and actually, I got less scared the more into the ghost story and the more you started seeing what was behind everything. Um, but the, it was quite funny to begin with, uh, like I say. And then um, the problem is, uh, the last half hour, like I say, it, it kind of gets to a conclusion where it, it, it's too ambiguous and it hasn't earned that ambiguity. I don't mind an ambiguous end and kind of going, oh, what happened there? If If I've... Uh, if the films aren't it, Inception, for example, Primer, for example, I know two very different uh, kind of strands of storytelling there, but this was kind of like, oh, really? Is that it? Kind of, and I was really disappointed by the last half hour, to be honest. And so, yeah, two very good central performances. For fans of the horror genre, I think it's something that would be interesting you'd want to take a look at. Um for anyone else, unless you've got a real interest in ghost stories, probably you'll be a bit disappointed by it. It's interesting. I tend to find ghost stories and haunted house stories kind of the, the most scary ones. I think mm. when I was quite young, I saw the original film of The Haunted, and uh, that kind of freaked me out. And that set me on a path then of, well, anything that's about haunted house uh, or ghosts or anything like that kind of does freak me out a little bit. Which yeah. is why I love the Paranormal Activity series, and I'm quite looking forward to seeing the fourth one. Yeah, and, and you're right because because it is so simple, and it is it's it's but it's believable as well. I know it's about ghosts, and I don't actually believe in ghosts, but at the same time, there is still a small bit of my brain that thinks no, actually this could happen, and maybe ghosts do exist, and that would scare the crap out of me. Um, and my, mine again was from younger. I think it is that. And devil worshipping films. I've got a massive thing about. I think it was when I saw Peter Fonda in Ride with the Devil or Ride Against a uh, Race with the Devil. Uh, the, and then I saw The Omen, and then I saw The Exorcist, and I was like, right, so yeah, ghosts and devil worshipping <laughs> are the ones that really creep me out. And also, I had a slightly religious upbringing as well, so the whole devil thing doesn't sit well with me either. Um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, it, it's it's very effective. And like I said, the first hour is quite beautiful filmmaking, but it it kind it just lets itself down in, in the denouement. But for for an hour, it's a very very good ghost story. Okay, Owen, what have you watched this week? Okay, well, I have got my film that I want to talk about in a second, but just kind of carrying on from that strand that um, James had there with, you know, films that were scary and so Arachnophobia I watched this week, first time I've seen it since I was uh, quite young, uh, and I thought it held up really well. I really loved it. Um, if you were following Twitter, I did tweet about it quite quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, Oh, and I also just very quickly want to mention I saw Airplane 2, the sequel, which is appalling. Uh, the first time I've seen that, I love the original. I think the original's a very funny film, 
Airplane 2, the sequel, just steer clear of that. It's on some of the Sky channels quite a lot at the minute. It is not worth an hour and a half of your time. But the film that I wanted to talk about was, um, I mean, I watched Time Cop last week and I talked about Time Cop. I watched another, I watched quite a few John Claude Van Damme films actually, but I, the film I want to talk about is JCVD, um, which is from 2008. It's kind of a French Belgian film. Um, which is about Jean-Claude Van Damme, um, playing himself. Uh, <laughs> sounds a bit strange, but he's playing Jean-Claude Van Damme. He goes to, um, a post office where he is held hostage by these people. And, um, it, it kind of involves a lot about his tax problems and his personal life and stuff. So it's got a very strange premise to it. Um, and I wasn't sure what to expect. I mean, on Love Films, uh, I watched it on Love Film Instant. Um, and it had on there that the, the categories it were under, was under were action and comedy. And I kind of, it, although it did have funny bits in it, it's not really what I would call a comedy. And although there was kind of, you know, a little bit of fighting and stuff and guns and things like that, it's not really an action and definitely not an adventure either. So it's kind of a little bit misleading. So, yeah, I wasn't really sure what to expect from it. I guess what I was expecting was for it to be a bit silly. Um, and I guess, you know, Jean-Claude Van Damme being recognised as Jean-Claude Van Damme by characters in the series, uh, in the uh, in the film, and then getting into a real, you know, quotation marks, real life uh, action hero type scenario. I, I sort of thought, well, maybe it's just going to be about him kicking and punching his way out of this hostage situation, and maybe it might do a little bit of deconstruction of the action film genre. But it wasn't really like that at all. It was kind of more of a French-style drama with kind of thriller elements to it. And actually, I thought Van Damme put in a really good acting performance. I know we talked about before with um, Arnie in things like uh, uh, Total Recall and Predator and stuff where he's actually, he puts in a very good performance, mm. but we wouldn't say it was a, a typical acting yeah. performance. And I think what Van Damme does here, he does that that performance. This is his film where he shows he can act. He's an actor. He's not just an, an, a guy who does roundhouse kicks to people's faces. He's, you know, there's more to him. Um, there's a scene in it where he does this straight monologue, which goes on for about sort of six minutes, and it breaks the fourth wall because it sort of takes... I mean, it literally lifts him out, out of this, this film, and he does, um, this, as I say, a monologue to the camera. Uh, and it's kind of manipulative in that it's obviously there as a piece to show how well he can act. Uh, and he's not, like I say, the cast as this action hero all the time. But, uh, you know, maybe that's slightly unfair because it's quite raw, it's quite emotional. And the way it was shot was very clever. As I say, it's, it's kind of just lifted up above the set. So you, it really does take him straight out of the film and puts this little scene in there. And it was very, very touching as well. Um but, uh, I mean, it, it's it's not all serious. It does have funny moments in it. There's kind of, like, a lot of light relief there. And, um, yeah, I mean, Jean-Claude Van Damme's his, his on-screen persona has just developed really well through the film. You do realise he's Jean-Claude Van Damme, and he is playing Jean-Claude Van Damme. But it's this character in itself, really. And um, it, you get to see sort of both sides of the coin of his personality. So you get to see him as this nice bloke who signs autographs and he's pic- has his picture taken with people. Then you get to see this tired old man who just wants everyone to leave him alone. He's got this Hollywood ego as well. 
And it's kind of a very endearing character trait that, that he manages to put across for himself. So like I say, a little bit manipulative perhaps because he's trying to just build this um, uh, image for himself, I guess maybe a little bit of rebranding or something. But, you know, it, it's quite a good film and a good performance. And the, the way it's shot is very... Um, it's described, I saw, I read about it on Wikipedia afterwards, and one of the words that is used on there is that it's Godardian, as in like, you know, Godard, the guy who did Breathless mm-hmm. and stuff. And it, it, it is a little bit like that. You, you do have the kind of dialogue, the way it's shot, the camera's just to the side, and he's just, you know, it's very close camera to him, and he's just talking to somebody. You don't see the other person on screen, you just follow him and stuff. And it does, it does feel a little bit like Breathless, which I kind of, I, I, well, I wasn't kind of, I definitely wasn't expecting <laughs> from the film when, when I went in to watch it. But um, it, it worked, it really worked. And, um, you know, the, uh, another quote that I saw about it is he's, the, he's now the, the muscles and brains from Brussels rather than the muscles from Brussels. So I've coined that. Well, I haven't coined it, but I'm, I've copied it now. I'm going <laughs> to tell everyone when, I, when I'm trying to describe this film to them that it's a good way to describe him from there on because he's shown he's, he can act, he can make clever films. And... Um, yeah, I mean, he will be fondly remembered for his action films, more so than he will be for something like this. I think that is just, he, he can't escape that. I'm pretty sure he wouldn't want to escape that. It's a, you know, it's a legacy that he's built now. And I do enjoy those old films, but it, it is, this is just something just slightly different and um, well worth a watch. Okay, and Jerry, then, what have you watched this week? Um, similar to you, Steve, I watched um, an older film on Blu-ray. Um, watched Blade Runner just just now, actually, not 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 long before we recorded. Um, I'm not going to talk about the film because I assume everyone's seen it. If you haven't seen it, well, sort it out. Just just go and <laughs> buy the Blu-ray, right? And if you haven't got a Blu-ray player, go and buy yourself. Can a I ask? Well, can I ask which cut you watched, Jerry? It's the final cut on Blu-ray. Right, that's the yes. one I've still not watched yet. Now I've watched see, all the... of the others, but yeah. That's the only one that I can remember seeing. I mean, I watched it, like, years ago before, and I can't remember in enough detail to really be able to pick out the differences now because it's been so long since I've seen it, but there's no voiceover on it. So, I mean, that seems to be the main complaint. Um, Just, I'm not going to talk about the quality of the film. It's one of the best films ever made, in my opinion. However, the quality of that Blu-ray is phenomenal. I, I had to actually check what year it came out. It's 30 years old this year, Blade Runner. It's unbelievable how good it looks. It's just incredible. Um, I read as well that they reshot, um, there's a slight spoiler alert here, but um, there's a scene where Decker is chasing someone and he shoots this person and they go through a plate glass window. Mm-hmm. Um, and they reshot that for this final cut in like 2005, 2006 mm-hmm. um, with the original actress because it was so obvious in the in the first version that it was a stunt double. Right, yeah. Reshot it with the original actress, in, and she fit into the same costume and exactly mimicked her actions from like 20 <laughs> years before. And the crew were amazed, apparently. So, wow. you can't even tell. But yeah, it's just brilliant. I mean, it, the Blu-ray is well worth, well worth getting. It's, it's one of the better looking films I've seen on Blu-ray, you know, and it's right up there with things like Planet Earth and Life in terms of visual quality. It's, it's amazing. And for a 30 year old film, it's a real testament to Ridley Scott's abilities, really, that it looks so damn good. It's interesting, because um, uh, not long ago, I saw Jaws, uh, the restored version. I know the Blu-ray was out this week, and I, I need to pick that up. But, uh, again, it, there is 
there is some absolute magicians working on these films because Jaws looked like it was shot this year. Um, and you know, it was only the fact that I know what Richard Dreyfus and, uh, and Roy Scheid look like makes me go, well, okay, no, it must have been from back then, but seriously, um, that there's some fantastic, and it does make, it does make it worth upgrading your collection, doesn't it, Jerry? You know, just think, no, I want to watch it in glorious, glorious HD. Although, quite interestingly, I remembered last week at Bowie Fest, two of the films I watched were projected on film, which is great to see. Um, and they were really scratchy copies, but I actually really liked that as well. So, so despite what I just said, I still think there's room for a bit of scratchiness and a bit of analogue. Uh, fuzziness in a print, but only if you're watching it. If you have, if you have a big yeah, cinema in your own yeah, house, that's fun in a cinema. Yeah, at home having the best possible print. Yeah, no, no, no I, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna re- I need, really need to watch Final Cut because I've got it there sat amongst. I did a count this week. I've got 50 films at home that I've, I need to watch that I have bought in the last year. So Jesus. I've got to stop buying them and start watching them now. I did a similar thing on Facebook about a year, well, just before we started recording the podcast, actually, where I, I had 52 DVDs that I hadn't seen. So I thought, well, I'll watch them over 52 weeks. No. And uh, I failed miserably. So good luck to you, James. <laughs> the thing is, I think about a third of them are ones that I've seen before or seen versions yeah. of before. But they're, they're over half of them are actually brand new as well, so I need to sort that out. Mm. So, yeah, you, you can expect some more film watching from me over the next few weeks. I only have a few of them, you see, but one of them's like Che Part 2, and it's been so long since I watched Part 1. <laughs> no, I have no desire to watch the second part. No, I'll have to watch the first one again. I just can't be arsed. I can never be bothered. Well, that moves us on nicely to this Dread 3D. Uh, Jerry, I understand, hasn't seen it, um, but Owen, did you see it in 3D? Yes. And James, did you see it in 3D? I gave 3D another chance. See, now, I've watched it in 3D as well, and I thought, and this is what I think about 3D, generally, I don't think it's that great, but if a film's made for 3D specifically, rather than just being made and then having a 3D version attached to it, it, you know... The only other film I've seen like that, I'm sure there has been other films that's been made for 3D, but the only other film I saw like that was sort of the first one, which was Avatar. And regardless of what you think about the plot of Avatar, it did look pretty good in 3D. And I think the same with Dread. In, because it was made specifically for 3D, and it's been marketed, uh, marketed as Dread 3D, the 3D actually works pretty well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was... Um, Avatar, <laughs> you mentioned Avatar, that was the first film where I thought, okay, I want to see a film in 3D. Dread mm. was the second where I saw all the trailers and I thought, yeah, I want to see that in 3D. I want to yeah. see what it looks like with the slow-mo stuff. And Yeah, and that that's the key, isn't it, is um, uh, slow motion and 3D works really well <laughs> and mm. they've done it brilliantly in this. And they've obviously filmed it in 3D, it's not been retrofitted. Um yeah, it, it, it just, it just felt right. And, and, and the bits when you notice the 3D most, um, are during kind of like the scenes where, well, should we explain the film very quickly? Um, yeah, to, well, to anyone who's not. Should, should, we, should um, we start off by saying, whereas Total Recall, what we reviewed last week, even though they said it wasn't a, a remake, it definitely was. Yeah. Uh, Dread 
isn't a remake. It's just going back to the comic books and yeah. picking up the central mm-hmm. character. In and, the same and, way that Batman Begins yeah. wasn't a remake of yeah. Batman Forever. No, it, like it's, it's, yeah, exactly. start, it's starting again using the character. And yeah, and the and the fact that it's taken this long to get Judge Dredd movie going is testament to how badly Stallone's film did. Uh, the first, <laughs> I actually went to see that one in the cinema. I got really excited and went to see it in the cinema when it came out, and it was I've never been more disappointed. Um, but yeah, it's based on. I think it's probably Britain's biggest comic book hero. Wouldn't you guys who actually know more about comic books agree with me there? 2008. Um, it's Britain's biggest comic book hero, isn't it? Um, I know he's not British, but it's it's our export, and we should be proud of it. Kind of thing. The publication itself is is, is very popular. Yeah. 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 Um, now, yeah. So it's basically uh, Judge Dredd. Um, it's a day in the life of Judge Dredd, basically. Mm. Um, it's and set, it, I suppose it's set in. The future, but I mean, not too distant because we haven't got hover cars less yet. Less than 100 got, years in the future. Yeah, yeah. They've, they've still got wheels on the cars, but it can't be that far in the future. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but some war has left, you know, a lot of the earth uninhabitable. The, and they're in the, the great big... thing is, is that, uh, what I loved, and the first thing I wrote down in the cinema when I was there, 30 seconds of exposition at the beginning, bang you into the film. Yeah. Uh, I loved that. And it was a really simple 30 seconds, basically, like you say, oh, guess what? Loads of Earth is uninhabitable. Mega city, 800 million in it. Lots Job of crime. Done. I'm a judge. <laughs> Lot, like lots, of, lots of crime. Bang. Basically, the yeah. police are now judges and can and dole out justice yeah. rather so than just arresting people. You don't need people. to have been a fan. No, uh, you don't need to know where it comes from. But I mean, I mean uh, it's, it's, it's a it's, very simple premise. It's, it's what I thought about action films a lot recently and you can go back to films like Die Hard and action films like that and then you compare them to the modern day counterparts mm-hmm. they overcomplicate the plot when basically mm-hmm. all people are going to see is something blowing up and some guns and some killing and yeah. some violence sounds like we're um sounds like we're kind of dismissing this as a B movie no, yeah but i mean an, an action exactly film doesn't right. an action film doesn't need an intricate plot it needs a solid understandable yet simple plot and lots of stuff blowing up yeah, I, I don't mind if if you do get action films with complicated plots, but the important thing is they don't have to. And I think that's that's the key. And this, I think, I think I tweeted it when I came out and said, I thought they stopped making movies like this in the eighties. Okay, this really does feel like an eighties action film where, like you say, there's a simple plot with a um, a character who you empathise with. He's a bit smart talk. You know, there's something a bit different about him, and uh, and also, like, films these days are all about saving entire cities, saving the world. So this is actually about him taking down one crime lord and him and his partner getting out alive. Mm. And it boils it down to that. Uh, and I think that's because you know, we've seen some great comic book adaptations this year. You know, I'm thinking Avengers and The Dark Knight Rises. I mean, even uh, Spider-Man. One, world's at stake. In another, an entire city's at stake. Mm. This is just like, there's no origin story. There's no reinterpretation. It's just, this is the comic book hero. This is one day in his life. And I think that's really refreshing, actually. Have you been reading off my notes, James? See, I was saying. Because <laughs> <laughs> someone who grew up watching stuff from the 80s and 90s, right, on TV, you know, when they were when they were shown on TV. Yeah. That was kind of like my cinematic education. I, I for one, 
welcome this kind of resurgence of violent action films in yeah. the dystopian future. I mean, that's so I mean, but as well, they, it's an eighteen, and and the studio didn't go, oh god, no, can we try and make it at least a fifteen? Some more people. It's like, no. It's an 18. It, and it's definitely an 18. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But, it, but it's just an 18 for, like, violence and blowing. It's not an 18 for any kind of, like, adult themes and sex and so. It's just like, no, it's just, just for some violence. Hmm. And it, violence and swearing. And, um, and we, we lost at some point the ability to, well, studios lost the guts to make adult films like that. They, um, they always want to. You not dumb it down, but you tone it down. That's the tone it down phrase. to get more people in. I, yeah. I, I understand why it's a commercial decision, but I really, really admire the fact that in this one they went, we're just going to make it an 18. It's an action film for adults. We don't yeah. want teenagers in there. You mm. don't get people like Paul Verhoeven making sort of ultra-violent action films anymore, do you? I mean, I remember we had, you know, the, the 80s and the early 90s, you had like, like Blade Runner, like I've just watched, it was the Terminator films. <laughs> It was Total Recall, all those kind of Ar- Arnie's run of films there, things like Predator, uh, Commando, uh, Total Recall, you know, they were action films for adults. But I mean, um, I mean you, now you get a load of action films that are like the old A-team TV programs where people were getting shot and you never actually saw anyone die. Yeah. Although yeah. Expendables 2 was pretty cool. Actually, and yeah. Rambo from... I don't, I don't think you could have a Rambo film about some, some proper killing. Well, yeah, exactly. But they it, just wouldn't, it just wouldn't work. That's a, that is a fair point, though. And yeah, I, I'm not saying they haven't made them at all, but they have become very, very rare. It's just a load But I think we've got a little bit off track in terms of talking about the genre as a whole. Uh, and just, we're kind of not saying how it's... Yes. Um, I think that was what I was going to say was how did Carl Urban do? Because I think the main difference between the 80s and the 90s when he had all those films, you know, he had like Robocop where it was ultra-violent, one man, but all those films. And the main difference for me is there's no big stars in these action films. There's no Arnie, there's no Stallone. There's none of those kind of big draws in terms of action. I think no. the only good person we have is, is Jason yeah. State. Yeah, and I mean, he's not he's not on that level. He's good. Not, no, yeah. It, it says it all. You've got all the old action stars making films like The Expendables. You know, you've got Dolph Lundgren and Arnie and Stallone making all these old films. And how did he do? Because I think we're really crying out for someone who can well, be that kind of iconic I, action. I didn't even realise who Carl Urban was. I had to look him up. And I didn't realise that he was he was Aoma in uh, Lord of the Rings. And yeah, he's Bones in Star Trek. Yeah, Tra- Bones, and, uh, Bones he's in, in Born Star Supremacy. Yeah. yeah, he's really good in this, actually. He's, um, it was interesting, I read a Q&A with, he took over the 2008, the Twitter account last week to answer questions. He's a massive Dread fan, which I think has helped hugely here, because he insisted that the helmet not be taken off for this film, unlike the Stallone abomination. I mean, it makes it, it makes it harder for him to act just with, you know, I suppose like Tom Hardy with Bane, with with half a face to do expressions with. But he doesn't need to act as such. That's no. the thing. He, it's a it's a charismatic performance, and he really does distill the essence of dread. Because although I'm not very big on comic books, I haven't read huge amounts of them, graphic novels, whatever. Um, I did read Judge Dread when I was younger uh, for a few years, and he was he was very deadpan, um, which is exactly what he delivers some very funny lines in a very deadpan way. Um, but just putting on that uniform gives him uh, a bit of an aura anyway. But he, I think he carries it off very well. I don't know what the other two thought. I thought yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, um, it, 
talking about the old comics, I think they were only like six pages each issue anyway. So mm. within that frame of, you know, you've only got six pages to tell a story, there wasn't much room for, you know, developing a character as such. But you, you just had this ultra cool Judge Dredd character. And they've managed, they, they got that character and put him in a film. And it's brilliant because that's what he is. He's just this ultra cool, you know, he, he goes around in his uniform. He rides a, you know, a cool bike, shoots mm. his cool gun at people. And you know, oh, the lawgiver gun with the voice yeah. activated weapons. It's, just, it's, it's that again just felt like something out of the eighties. It felt like yeah. something in the eighties. They go, well, that obviously all police officers will have that in the future. And it was just like, uh, that was brilliant. Um, mm. with its little kind of LCD screen, like yeah. saying which weapon was, got. it was nice. It was really. And Anderson was a nice, um, kind of felt very much like she was bringing it back to what an 80s film was like. Yes. You know, uh, yeah. Calling okay. her the rookie all the time yeah. and stuff, you know. Yeah, exactly. Just... And she did very well actually with her role that, you know, the rookie and also, um, her, the, you know, it's revealed very early on that she is a mutant, um, with psychic abilities and I thought they handled that quite well as well in terms of um it wasn't overdone they didn't use it all the time mm. but they used it when it was logical they would use it and I've it, got one slight issue with that but we're not having a spoiler I think I'll have to discuss that with you lot afterwards it, I had that there was one kind of plot hole that bugged me it, a it little did, bit it did also provide the funniest line of the the film and I mean Action films like that are always going to have their one-liners and and things, and the psychic element provided the the best one of the film. Yes, yeah, yeah, um, and and yeah, she was good. Um, the other person who was fantastic in it was um Lena Headey, um, who plays Mama, the uh the female crime lord, mm. um. And who I that, but I didn't, I didn't even realize it was her watching the film actually. She's got this kind of disfigured face and this cropped haircut. I didn't realize it was her, but it's the same woman who plays Cersei in Game of Thrones. Um, she played Queen Gorgo in 300 and she was, um, in the Sarah Connor Chronicles, the TV show. She played Sarah, Cro- uh, Sarah Connor. So she has really got a real track record of playing these very, very, Strong and in some cases psychotic. Mm. Um, her, char- women. her character was very unhinged. Yes, and she does it really well. Actually, she's very good in this. Um, and yeah, it, it's it. And then there's a load of again. It just felt like eighties. Some of the henchmen and stuff like that just felt out of an eighties movie. It was brilliant. Mm. Um, a couple of nice twists along the way. Um, I think we can't. We can't really skirt around the inevitable comparisons with the raid. Um, the fact but that I've, both these films have come out and their plot is almost identical. But I think that's just no one's ripping each other off. It's just coincidence. Yeah, I yeah, mean, exactly. Dread's been um, Dread's been in the making longer than what the raid was. Um, yeah, I doubt the people making Dread had even heard of the raid before it sort of came out. In effect, yeah, it, yeah, it's, it's, exactly. it's, just, it's just like. It, it's just like when Deep Impact and Armageddon came out at the same time, and you've got two films about asteroids going to blow up the Earth coming out at the yeah. same time. Oh, the Walking Dead. Yeah, Walking Dead. Walking Dead and Twenty Eight Days Later had the same introduction, but both came out very close to each other. Yeah, so was... and even uh, there was two comedies about mall cops, like mm. just last year, oh, or the year yeah. before. Yeah, these these things happen. It is different enough. I think there's a lot. There's very little hand-to-hand fighting in this. 
um, whereas that was a you know, massive part of uh, the raid. And obviously this is, yeah, it's different. It's sci-fi. Um, and I'm, I'm saying this early doors. I, earlier this week I got excited about the fact it was only three months till I could start drawing up my best of year um, lists. And I'm really looking forward to our end of year failed critics. I'm gonna, I'm still working out how we're going to do that. But um, <laughs> um, I'm actually at the moment thinking, do you know what? I think there's room for both of these on my end of year list. I, I was that impressed by this. It's still got 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. Which is incredible. How many uh, reviews is it up to on there now? Uh, 23 reviews, 100, per- not a single bad review yet. And I mean, um, which, which is incredible. Which is, which is, but it's, it's fair. Oh, yeah, exactly. It's fair. No one's saying it's amazing. And no one's saying it'll win Oscars. No one's saying it's the best film of the it, year. It's amazing it's, within its genre. Exactly. It's, uh, it's done what it's set out to do. And then when you look at what has else has, you know, Basically, last week we reviewed Total Recall, and then this week we're reviewing this, and this is what Total Recall should have been in so many different ways. Um, and yeah, I'm not saying it should have, they should have just like put Judge Dredd in Total Recall, that's, yeah, but, but the, the visual style, the humour, the not taking itself so seriously. This, this was what Total Recall should have done, or it should have become really super intelligent, and it fell between the two. Um, Whereas I think what is great about Judge Dredd is it went, we're making an 80s B-movie here. Let's make it the best damn 80s B-movie that's been released in a long, long time. And it, it set itself up for, for sequels. I mean, you know. Um, yeah. Uh, um, Gar- Alex, is it Alex Garland who wrote it? Um, he has a trilogy in mind mm. already. Um, he, he very purposefully avoided too much um, politics and too much history of um, the judges um, and he's got it set up with a trilogy with the third part being Judge Death um, oh, right. uh, and and the uh, what are they called, the, the, the undead judges basically um, so he, he's got a trilogy in mind uh, which is which I'm now excited about because finally I think this this character deserves a deserves a series of good films. But, I mean, you uh, don't. But you don't even have to stick with Dreaded. Carl Urban just said, "No, nah, I'm not going to do another one." You've just got, you know, you could just pick up with any other judge and, and oh, I think you and have run. to stick with Dread though. <laughs> oh, no, but yeah, you see what I'm you see what I mean. You could quite. You could. I don't. You could. Well, no, you could stick anyone else in the helmet. Yeah, but I think you've got to have Dread at the heart of it. I, I, yeah, you would not get people going to see Judge Dave. <laughs> <laughs> Although you might be able to get get away with the spin-off with Anderson or something. Yeah, but no. But Carl Urban's a massive... I, I can't see Carl Urban not doing it. He's said what a great time he had filming it. He's a massive Judge Dredd fan. If they, want to, if, if they make more, Carl Urban will do it anyway. So I think it's a moot point. Do we think that Carl Urban's going to build on this and sort of become that kind of action star, or do you think he really needed to judge Red Roll and he might not transfer it, if you know what I mean? Um, do, you, do you mean is he going to become Jeremy Renner, who we can't get rid of at the moment? Well, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm hoping to aim a little bit higher than that, Steve, yeah. I mean, Renner's good, but I think it's, it says it all about, you know, when we used to have Arnie Stallone, mm. Dolph Lundgren, all that generation, we've got fucking Jeremy Renner. Yeah. yeah, that's all right. But well, I mean, I, I suppose I he's going to... This is all for him, 
So assuming we're playing the new, he'll be playing Bones again in the Star, the new Star Bones Trek. This out, one, which is I out like next to year. See him team up with the Rock again um, and take another mm. crack at the Doom franchise. <laughs> Well, maybe step away from Doom, but yeah, doing yeah. something with The Rock. I, I think The Rock is is ready to be on that level of Arnie, Stallone, Lundgren were in the 80s, I think. He's the a rock, rock, for Christ's sake. He can he's, he's did, you hear, did you hear the story about The Rock he's during last huge week? Now. Did you Have see, you seen did, you, him? did you see the story about him during last week doing some filming in London and some yeah. people tried <laughs> robbing something from a production van and he chased them down? I would not. Is it, um, if, Fast Six that they're filming at the moment. Probably, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd probably just let him rock bottom me, just so <laughs> I could say that it happened. Yeah. I think mean, the thing with the Rock is he needs a good film to be made. He gets cast in sort of middle of the road action films, and he went. He went for his phase of doing children's films as well. Um, I am quite. I think, and I saw another trailer for it. I don't know if it's something wrong with me. I don't know if my brain is slightly wired wrongly, but GI Joe looks like it might be quite good. The, this, the is that new, just the, me? I don't know. The new one didn't look like it was going to be too bad, but maybe it's because I saw Bruce Willis and The Rock in the same film. That's that possible, but I know they've they've had to film it so they can they've had they because it's meant to be out like a month ago, mm. and they've had to put it back because they need they want now the studio wants to be in three D. And apparently, test audiences didn't like the fact that okay, spoiler alert, Channing Tatum gets killed really early on. Um, so they've had to film some more scenes with Channing Tatum because he was in the original GI Joe film. Um, and now all of a sudden his star has ascended and audiences didn't like the fact that a major star got killed very early on. Just um, fuck test audiences. I know. Um, Basically. But, yeah, I, I think I, I think that could well be a good film and putting what little critical credibility I have on the line by, by saying that. But I think Giago might be good. <laughs> I've I've heard he's he's rumored to be in uh, a version of Arabian Nights in a couple of years. Um, with bizarrely, rumor is Liam Hemsworth confirmed. The rumor is Anthony Hopkins and Dwayne Johnson. Wow! Time to sign those two share the scene. Which Chuck <laughs> Russell making it? Who's the guy who directed um or the Arnie the crap Arnie film where he had like green guns? Um, oh, you have been erased. Eraser, yes. <laughs> Um, days, was it, or was it, um, no, he something else? Yeah, he did, um, the, he did the rock film, uh, the mummy spin off with the rock as well. Oh, uh, Scorpion King. Scorpion King, which was that rubbish. Was yeah, yeah. rubbish. I thought the mummy was quite fun, but yeah, Scorpion King was terrible. Yeah, it's crap. So, well, uh, but yeah, Judge, Judge Red. Yeah, Anthony Hopkins and the rock on this, in the same film. Um, we start. We, we started with a. To we, remains of the day. We, we started with a, a Top Gear reference, so we'll end with one. And on that bombshell, <laughs> we'll pack it in for the night. Um, but James, what is the next film we're reviewing? Uh, next film we're reviewing. I've already seen it. I, I quite liked it. Spoiler alert: um, Lawless, uh, the new Prohibition era Western gangster thing with uh, Shia the Beef, Tom Hardy, Gary Oldman. Uh, Guy Pearce, Jessica Chastain. It's a very good cast, actually. Um, but yeah, Lawless. Um, that's next week's review. And 
yes, triple build that you'll be getting in a couple of days' time will be in honour of Judge Dredd, our favourite movie cops, although he's not strictly a cop, he's a judge. And James is very strict with his rules on these kind of things, so <laughs> we probably can't pick Judge Dredd. Um, anyway, yes, yeah, so thanks to myself, Jerry, James and Owen. Thanks to Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for our music. And thanks to all of you for listening. And join us for Triple Bill and for Failed Critics again next week. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 